following program contains language and subject matter that you may consider unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Greetings, Herfling. Uh, His Highness the Jackal. The Jackal. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the new king of radio. <laughs> I think Jackal's a Latino. I'm not sure, but he'll give it to you, sir. The Jackal. Welcome one, welcome all, welcome friends, welcome foes to another episode right here inside the Jackal's Head live again on PSN Radio and of course SoFlo Radio and the Global Enlightenment Radio Network. I want to welcome all my guests listening from every part of the planet, whether you're east, south, north, west of the equator, or whether you're even on a different planet. Say you're live on Mars and you're listening, welcome, my Martian friends. If you're on uh, another uh, planet in this solar system and you're listening in, welcome. This is the Jackal's Head. And we're live on this very spooky October 25th. 2020. Get comfortable. We're going to have a, a heck of a good time tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, politics. You guys, some very interesting stuff came out of the debate with Trump and Biden. An excellent debate for uh, Trump, by the way, including the fact that right after the debate for the next, uh, what, day or so, one of the number one things that was trending on Twitter and on the internet was, can I change my vote? And that's because I think a lot of the early voters, after they saw that debate, they were like, oh, I did I vote for Biden? And uh, I think this is the first part of the big red wave coming in the next few days. November 3rd is creeping up, folks, and uh, it's uh, getting closer and closer to D-Day. And if you listen to some governors, if we don't vote for Biden, expect more chaos. Gretchen Whitmer, I'm talking right to you, lady. Um, I want to give a special uh, shout-out uh, to uh, a few folks, including the last show that just aired on the network here around the campfire with Kate. And uh, she had a, a nice uh, group of uh, people listening in, including the uh, network zone, Kaiser from Kaiser Talk Radio, and a couple callers that called in a really cool show. Really creepy stuff. Uh, I don't like uh, you know, talk. I don't like talking a lot about Halloween and... Uh, into spooky stories but man i'll tell you 2020 has been a spooky time in itself and uh it's a perfect time i guess to uh have a little spookiness but uh another uh quick shout out that i wanted to give is to uh, a new patreon that we got this week arlene a good friend of mine actually for a long time and uh, uh she is uh somebody i've known for about oh almost about 22 years i think now you know this show is uh something that i don't get paid for when it comes to like the way we uh we do it we're not on a big network that pays us or anything so everything that we do is uh you know free to air and uh we survive by uh the the really the skinny of the skinniest when it comes to the budget, and uh, we're, we're trying to do this to uh, really bring out the right information to the people out there that need to get informed, because the media is not informing you. So Patreon is one uh, place that we definitely need more support on. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, and again, thanks uh, to all the people that have joined so far, and uh, the newest member, my good friend Arlene, who is from right, right down here in Miami, and uh, uh She's a brilliant lady, by the way. I've known her for a long time. And you know, for a lot of people that say, well, women can't do this or that, uh, this uh, lady can do just about anything she wants. 
And like all of us, she's uh, feeling the pinch. So I really appreciate her joining the Patreon. And, uh, you know, we're, we're all kind of going through this uh, COVID nightmare together. So uh, it takes a good friend to go ahead and uh, support your friends when they're in, uh, in time of crisis and need and are trying to do something positive. So uh, shout outs to uh, my good friend and sister Arlene. Uh, maybe not by blood, but definitely by heart. If you guys want to join the Patreon fund, go over to patreon.com forward slash Angel Espino. Real easy, that's my name, Angel Espino. If you don't know it by now, what the hell are you listening to? Do you even know? This is the Inside the Jackal's Head Show with your host, Angel Espino. That's me, that's that's right, I am the Jackal. And if you want to check out the podcast later on, you go to www.angelespino.com. Or, if you want to go to the full name of the show, you go to www.com. TheJackalsHead.com Either one will take you to all the latest information on this show. Uh, but again, uh, we have a lot of stuff to get to, and I have a fantastic guest uh, joining me, Mr. Nick Redfern himself. And as you guys know, I dabble in the world of UFOlogy, ufology, UFOs, the extraterrestrial question and life on other worlds. You know, uh, for years it's been a truth embargo on the whole thing. And uh, the uh, gentleman that I've had on uh, not too long ago, Mr. Stephen Bassett, another shout out to him, uh, has been leading that charge. But you know what? Doing a lot of research himself, Nick Redfern is a uh, mastermind when it comes to the stuff that's been going on. For decades now, and I love having him on and picking his mind on, you know, not literally with like utensils or anything, but picking the man's brain because he is a brilliant, brilliant author, and he's written more books than I have ever read, by the way. I think I said that once before, and it stands. You know, check out his work. It's it, like I said, the the uh, man never disappoints with the amazing amount of research and work the latest book he has out is called the martians and uh it's uh, about evidence of life on the red planet and i really want to get my hands on that it's on amazon right now if you guys want to get it on kindle you could do so i'll just look up uh, nick redfern that's n-i-c-k-r-e-d-f-e-r-n nick redfern and uh again a lovely 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 gentleman and a tremendous author and uh, a full-time author. I mean, this man has been doing this for a long time. He's a journalist, specializes in a wide range of unsolved mysteries, which not only include other planets, by the way, includes Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, of course, UFO sightings, government conspiracies, alien abductions, like uh, my good friend Travis Walton and my good friend Mike Rogers have uh, gone through, and Steve Pierce will know all about that stuff. Uh, so if you guys are interested in these subjects, including paranormal phenomenon, Nick Redfern is one of the best in the business writing about it. So I am uh, jonesing to have him on the show. He'll be on at the 11 o'clock hour to midnight for a full hour interview. We're going to talk about the book, The Martians, Evidence of Life on the Red Planet. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. You know, I, I often like to tie in the world of ufology with what's happening here uh, politically. Because I think it, it is all interconnected. Like a lot of folks like to say, well, is, uh, you know, spirits and UFOs interconnected? I think it is. I also do believe that uh, UFOs are interconnected with, the, you know, the the world that we're living in right now in 2020. 
I think there is a big reveal coming. And I think that's why the Pentagon started opening their, uh, you know, their information on what, what they know with those videos. And we talked about that with Steve Bassett because there is uh, a, you know, a truth embargo. Let's, let's be honest. This, is, uh, this has been going on for decades. It's nothing new. So for anybody who might be thinking, oh, my God, when did this start? No, this has been going on since you and I were born, Snowflake. Relax. Uh, in fact, I would suspect that this is uh, knowledge that uh, was being suppressed uh, probably even before the First World War uh, by the global elitists that were running the world. Uh, I'm sure they knew about it. I mean, look, India had the Vimanas. We've always had, uh, you know, uh, stuff we found that have uh, UFO-related stuff on them. So, you know, the fact that now we're, you know, maybe on the cusp of uh, getting some more revelations, possibly the disclosure, especially the, uh, the, the fact that Mr. Steve Bassett uh, said that he actually thinks disclosure might be happening as soon as get this april of next year so i don't know i mean with the way things have gone it's very very possible in a sense i believe that uh like i said everything uh it happens for a reason i think that you know trump being president definitely happened for a, a major reason i think is because he is the transition president into a disclosure post world and I do think that's uh, going to be happening pretty soon. And uh, the debate was amazing. I'm, I'm going to get to some of the clips here because that debate, folks, the second debate was just an incredible showdown. Trump, I think, nailed it. He really uh, showed why he is the president that we need right now in charge. He is the the guy who needs to lead this country. And, uh, you know, he, he gets asked uh, so many stupid things, uh, including uh, about his denouncing white supremacy uh, and all this junk, uh, which constantly is like, my God, it's mind-boggling. Uh, but, you know, one thing that I got out of the debates, which I, I, you know, I don't know if people put a whole lot of importance into its fracking. Let me allow fracking. Vice President I Biden to respond. I never said I oppose fracking. You said it I, on tape. I did show the tape. Put it on your website. I'll put it on. Put it on the website. The fact of the matter is show he's flat lying. Would you flat. rule out banning fracking? I do rule out banning fracking because the answer, we need, we need other industries to transition to get to ultimately a complete zero emissions by 2025. Okay, so he opposes fracking, uh, but says he wants to get to fracking uh, by 2025. So uh, how does that work? How do you oppose something and then say you're for something? I mean, you, you really can't have, you know, both uh, sides of the road here. And that's what he's trying to do. Basically, he's pandering to whoever's not paying attention. And uh, it's just think, oh, yeah, he's... He's for fracking. And then some other people are going to take away with, well, he's against fracking. But listen, look, look what he says. He says he'll end fracking by 2025. Well, gee, if you end fracking by 2025, guess what happens there? You won't be able to, for example, make the plexiglass that you make uh, to separate uh, people in their uh, businesses. Uh, so there goes that idea. Uh, you won't be able to, to uh, tr you know, make any fuel until you have a perfect sustainable fuel. So there goes that. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, more problems. If you end fracking and you uh, displace all these different people that are working... Um, you know, what does that do for the environment? 
I mean, you think about this. Now you're displacing how many people from their jobs? Uh, you know, that's not good. That's not good at all. In fact, that's really, really bad. Uh, to the point where you're not only ending millions and millions of jobs, you're saying, hypothetically speaking, we're going to create all these other jobs, but there's no substance to it um, at, at all. I mean, there's no substance to any of it. In fact, the worst part about it is is that he not only lies about it, he flip-flops about it, folks. Check out this other clip uh, when it comes to fracking. Uh, Joe doesn't really care. Remember, and... and Early on in his career as a career politician, when they uh, they talked about him being a, a smart guy, he lied about that. He never really finished ahead of his class. He was actually last in his class. Uh, he was such a bad student that uh, some of his teachers didn't even remember he went to school there. And uh, he, he's even admitted that he's lied. He's a liar. I mean, we know that. And we're going to get to some of the other uh, more incriminating stuff here in a second. But, uh, you know, the fracking stuff is very important because that's part of the life uh, blood of this country. It's, it's one of the main things in this economy that makes it run. Without that, you have, uh, you know, we're, we're back to horse and carriages, folks, until we have sustainable uh, ways to empower us. Uh, and, and we're not even close to that yet, the, to power the whole planet. You would have to tear everything down and build it back up. You cannot do that. It'll cost more money than we have, period. It'll destroy not just the economy, it'll destroy the world. But that's what these people want. And, and listen to how Joe lies. Not, Check this. Not, not banning fracking, period. But kiddo, I want you to just take a look, okay? You don't have to agree. But I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate with you, okay? No more, no new fracking. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in the Biden administration? No, we would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated and no more subsidies for either one of those. Will you commit to implementing a federal ban on fracking your first day in office, adding the United States to the list of countries who have banned this devastating practice? There's no question I'm in favor of banning fracking. All right, let that sink in for a second, folks. There's no doubt that they're going to end fracking. None, right? That's an issue. Uh, again, that's a major, major issue, which I don't think people are taking as seriously as they should, because if you think about what they are saying there, they basically are going to destroy the world. That's uh, what they're saying. They're going to destroy the world, uh, the planet as we know it. It's going to come to a screeching halt, and uh, that is not good anywhere. I don't care what part of the planet you know, you're know you in or from or whatever. Uh, that's uh, not good at all. And again, I uh, I love uh, Nick. I think he's a, a great uh, guest. Again, a very, very uh, well-researched uh, person when it comes to a lot of the subjects that he uh, covers in the paranormal, UFO, Bigfoot, uh, Mothman, all kinds of stuff that he's uh, covered over the years. The Martians, Evidence of Life on the Red Planet is what we're going to cover hopefully tonight. Again, you guys can uh, check it out on Amazon. It's on Kindle. It's actually, the, the, I believe it's the number one uh, book right now on Kindle. And uh, that's uh, pretty uh, pretty cool. I mean, I like you know, that's uh, a hell of an, an accomplishment. Uh, number one release on Amazon Kindle on the UFO section. I'm going to take a break here. And when I come back, that will continue on this wonderful journey into the 
next few days, which leads into Halloween. And then, of course, into election time. Halloween, election, Nancy Pelosi. What does it all mean? It's all scary. We'll be right back. Stick around. Have you heard Mac Maloney lately? In your military career, did you ever see anything that came close to an unusual UFO sighting or... No. Holy <laughs> That was the yeah. Yeah. 10 seconds of... Uh, no. What are you that tra- was so convincing. Yeah. What are you trying to say there? Well, UFO is an innocuous term. That's the worst fucking denial I've ever heard. Unidentified flying on Mac Maloney's Military X-Files, Friday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern on the public streaming radio network. All right, everybody, welcome back to Inside the Jackal's Head Live here on PSN Radio. And as promised, the uh, guest of the evening is now live with me, the one and only, the amazing author who's uh, just uh, penned more books than I've probably read in my entire life in 42 years, by the way. The one and only, Mr. Nick Redfern, a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you so much for making it out. I know we had a a little bit of a hiccup, and I appreciate you uh, spending your time with me, Nick. Oh, that's no problem. It's uh, one of those uh, things that, that happens now, now and again, and um, that's Facebook and the net for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like when we're trying to get good information out to the public, uh, the powers that be always kind of like has a hiccup. You notice that? I like to call it a glitch in the matrix. What do you think? Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we haven't, uh, you know, had you on, on our show, and I took some time off for uh, health reasons, uh, but I haven't uh, been able to catch up with you in a while, and I know that uh, you're always busy working on different projects. The latest book you have out, The Martians, uh, The Evidence of Life on the Red Planet. Uh, tell me a little bit about that book, because I really, really dig the Martian, uh, you know, uh, mythology, people that talk about Mars, Facts that have come out from, uh, you know, whistleblowers, uh, you know, the research that, you know, NASA is keeping from us. Uh, you know, tell us about the book itself, and uh, let's get into the, the subject. Well, the book basically is a study of everything to do with uh, Mars itself, uh, but from the perspective of the very the large number of um, what you would call anomalies that people have um, seen and, and photographed in relation to NASA. Um, and so the story essentially is a look at the the history of Mars and the theory that in the distant past there was some kind of um, civilization, a Martian civilization, that at some point there was a massive devastation of Mars, which also pretty much destroyed the Martian civilization. But it, my the, the scenario is that um, that there was a world possibly not too dissimilar to ours, um, perhaps you know a hundred thousand years ago, maybe longer. And we're now starting to see the evidence of this with um, with some of the NASA photographs that are coming forward. About 15 years ago, um, I was uh, watching uh, some whistleblower uh, underground videos about Mars, and I, you know, it, it was images that were supposedly leaked 
from NASA and I saw what clearly was structures that were artificially made and I was amazed how a mainstream uh, would not touch this kind of stuff but the more and more that you know the, the time has passed I think more of uh, what NASA has been covering up is it's coming to light and uh, do you think that some of uh, what they're keeping is that maybe we are part Martians ourselves and is that something you found uh, as part of the history of what might be going on? Well, I mean, there's no doubt, um, you know, there is a connection between Mars and Earth. You know, I, I talk about it in the book in the sense that um, it's almost like there's an affinity between Mars and Earth. And, um, and it's kind of almost like an inherited memory where a lot of people have, you know, kind of an affinity to Mars. You know, we don't kind of get that sort of sense from Mercury, you know, or... Um, Saturn, but for Mars, it's all—it's as if we do have this kind of ancient connect to them, um, and so I think that's an important angle, you know. Um, as far as you know, whether there's some kind of you know sort of genetic connection, I mean, that's an interesting angle—the idea of um, of being in a situation where we might actually have ancient origi origins that do have a connection to the Martian civilization. And, um, you know, possibly there could be like a genetic connection. And, um, but of course, you know, the big problem is that today, for the most part, Mars is a, you know, is a very um, damaged world, so to speak. Um, and so the evidence, the primary evidence we've got, you know, is sort of the, you know, the, the photographs that have come back from NASA and also remote viewing programs of, um, of Mars as well, which are really interesting, you know, the actually you, rather than sort of literally going there by spacecraft, by, but using uh, skilled remote viewers to go out to, to Mars um, sort of astrally, you know, and there's a lot of really good material come forward uh, by by in, in sort of investigating and um, looking around Mars, you know, using it in that fashion. That's interesting. You know, the uh, president and uh, a lot of people have been talking about maybe putting men on Mars within the next five, ten years. Uh, SpaceX and uh, all, you know, the advancements we've made. Uh, do you think that might be a better uh, way to, like, find out, you know, what is there? Remote viewing, uh, you know, and it's been proven, by the way, because the government even studied this thing for a, a very long time. So I have no doubt that there is a, definitely a legitimate, uh, you know, use for remote viewing. But uh, to be able to put men on the ground there in Mars and uh, see some of this stuff for ourselves, uh, do you think that we're we're ever going to get to that point in the next few years since they're talking about putting men on Mars, you know, the next decade possibly? Well, that, that's a good question. And uh, one of the things I would say is that I think one day it's possible that we could go to Mars and, you know, hopefully spend at least a couple of months there and really, you know, sort of check out the landscape and, and hopefully some of the anomalies that have been photographed as well. Um, I think, the, without being sort of pessimistic, which I'm genuinely not being pessimistic when I say this, but, you know, if you, if you consider the fact that, you know, the, the sheer distance from Earth to Mars, it's gigantic. You know, it's a, a, it's a huge distance. Um, for example, I mean, the, um, the approximate 
distance from Mars to Earth is 140 million miles. Right. Now, it's only 93 million miles from the Earth to the Sun. You know, mm-hmm. but to get to Mars, you've got to go 140 million. <laughs> so it's yeah. a huge distance. Now, the chances are, with the technology we've got now, even with the, the known technology, you know, you'd be talking about a, a journey of, unless we get some radical new technology, we, <clears throat> we would be talking about, um, you know, using a craft that would probably take at least a year, probably about a year, 15 mm. months, something like that, to get there, oh, yeah. 15 months to get back. And if you've got a crew of, say, five or six, they're going to need a fairly large craft because, yeah. you know, collectively, a collective time of, say, 18 months altogether or getting on close for two years, you know, the, I, I sometimes wonder, not about the the technology of the craft, but actually the psychological condition of the crew having been, you know, in a spaceship looking out the windows, probably watching the same old Blu-rays, you know, for the, uh, <laughs> for the last two, you know, for the final two years and back. And yeah. I sometimes yeah. wonder about the, you know, if the astronauts could psychologically make it. And of course, you know, if there's any um, problems, health problems, I mean, what are you going to do? turn back and for another 90 million miles that's just yeah. not feasible <laughs> so i think you know it's not so much the science and the technology that is the big issue i think it is the issue of of trying to get people there and i think it's a it's a good um program to you know to to do but i, I think it's not as simple as some people think it is now as far as um <clears throat> Remote Let me ask you real quick, though, uh, before we get to remote viewing, just a quick yeah. question. Uh, is, is there a certain window? Because I know there's sometimes a window where Mars and the Earth are uh, closer aligned, which might make the uh, travel there a little bit shorter, like maybe shorten it by six months, I heard. Is that possible? Oh, yes, it is. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's an important thing to note, is that although the um, the approximate um, distance is 140 million miles, um, because the you have this sort of extremely bizarre um, orbit, basically mm-hmm. what it means is that, yes, you can actually knock off a significant numbers of, you know, millions of, of miles, and they probably would be able to do that, you know, by getting a, a perfect route, you know, to, to right. cut off as many miles as possible. Um, so I think we can do it one day, um, but, you know, there are... It doesn't happen chances. every year, though. That's the thing. It's like every few years you have, like, that one perfect moment where you can shoot something off, uh, if yeah. I remember right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I would hope we could do it sooner than later. I'm just mm, yeah. looking at all the factors. But I, I think... You know the the angle of <laughs> excuse me the, the angle of using um, remote viewers. Um, I think is a really good one, and um, mm-hmm. a lot of people may not know that back in May uh, May the twenty second, nineteen eighty four, the CIA began its very own uh, remote viewing program on right. uh, on Mars, and um, mm-hmm. they. If you read the initial documentation, not all of it has been declassified yet, but some of the documentation talks about how they brought in the remote viewers and they specifically, the CIA specifically wanted 
the the RV team to focus on roughly about a million years uh, ago. So they were actually looking, you know, to to see Mars, um, you know, at a very distant time in its history. Now, what's particularly intriguing is the issue of why the CIA was so intent on having the remote viewers focus on one million years ago or thereabouts. So this suggests the CIA knew something about Mars during that period and they wanted to find out more about it. Now, incredibly, when the remote viewers actually got involved and, you know, they began the program, they reported seeing back um, some incredible images coming from the mine via uh, remote viewing. One of them was that um, the remote viewers could see that the astronauts, uh, excuse me, the the atmosphere um, was on fire. It was almost as if, you know, there was something like a a nuclear war. And and literally everything was on fire and there was sort of asteroids plummeting to the ground. And it literally was like Armageddon, but on Mars. Now, what's intriguing is that another one of the remote viewers said that they could actually see fleeing for these underground areas uh, what looked like um, people or entities not too dissimilar to us, Um, humanoids, Martian humanoids. uh, But the big difference was that they were somewhere in the height of about 12 to 14 feet tall, which would be, you know, pretty imposing to see you know, someone or a Martian 14 feet tall. But think but about this, though. That that might be uh, a coordinating with uh, biblical times and the uh, giants of the Bible. Well, actually, I talk about that in the book. I actually do think that's where oh, okay. we get the connection from, <clears throat> you know, the, the connection between the giants on Earth and, you know, the stories of the giants coming down and, you know, from from wherever, you know, from the heavens <laughs> right. or from Mars, you know. The Nephilim, um, I think they referred to them, correct. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, the, the intriguing thing is, though, that, um, you know, the remote viewers were able to get perfect images of Mars just in its fiery, you know, final days. Uh, now, whether it was due to, you know, something like... Um, their equivalent of a nuclear war, or as if some people have suggested, um, perhaps an asteroid strike, you know, perhaps a number of asteroids broke off from the asteroid belt, slammed into Mars, and if they were of, you know, of a huge size, you know, maybe 100 miles, who knows, across, that would have caused massive destructive worldwide um, destruction. And so the one of the intriguing theories, which also came out of the remote viewing program, was that possibly, um, you know, a small contingency, or maybe even a large one, managed to escape Mars before everything went totally wrong and managed to make it to the Earth. And... In, in essence, kind of set themselves up as gods, you know, but they were really just Martians, you know. And then they made us in their image and in their likeness. Yeah, which kind of <laughs> suggests like a genetic <laughs> manipulation uh, right. situation going on. You know, uh, one thing that I, I always find uh, kind of tragic about the, you know, the possibility of Mars being struck by like a, an outside body 
and uh, ending possible, you know, advanced civilization or life on the planet is that if they were advanced enough to be able to, you know, come over here and, and genetically manipulate us, that means they were, you know, further more along than we are in, in, as far as technology. And they still weren't able to stop something coming from outside, like a comet or something that would cause the kind of destruction. So uh, imagine us here on Earth, it, we're very vulnerable to that kind of impact ourselves. Uh, you know, even more so if you think about the technological differences that might have been from then to now. Even though it's in the past, doesn't mean that the technology couldn't have been much more advanced than ours. Well, yeah, you're right. And I think, you know, one of the important things about all that is that things like, you know, gigantic asteroids, meteorites, that kind of thing, you know, we really don't have any way to, you know, to stop that from happening. I mean, it's okay, you know, in the in the movies, but um, in reality, I, I really don't think we'd have much chance, you know, if, if there was like a, you know, an, an entire fleet, so to speak, of um, asteroids heading towards the Earth. We just have to hope for the best and um, and then recover from whatever the damage is afterwards. And certainly that damage would be worldwide. I mean, you know, if let's say, for example, it slammed into, you know, a huge one slammed into the Atlantic. Okay, you know, there's massive damage to the water and the, you know, the ground beneath the water, the bottom of the, the body of the ocean. Um, but in saying that, you know, you would also have incredible waves, you know, just heading straight into land masses in every direction. So, again, I kind of look at the perspective of that scenario and apply it to Mars. In other words, possibly there was just no way for the Martians to survive. And I think, you know, they did their best to escape possibly to our world, then, of course, that begs the question, well, you know, how can we prove this? And that takes us to the other angle of the, all these various um, photographs that have come back from NASA that seem to show images of carved faces, carved heads. Um, in some cases, what actually seem to show plants and bushes on the surface of Mars. And, um, and I think, you know, due to the fact that Mars is pretty, I won't say completely dead, but, you know, civilization there is very sort of, you know, there's not much left. But, you know, these images which do seem to show ancient structures, I think that is the other way we need to go to make the case that even if there isn't a Martian civilization of any kind there now, then there certainly was at some point in the distant past. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and you know, and if you want to apply some science to to it, also for those science buffs, Mars uh, for years, and I've I've read uh, certain uh, research on this. It, it it actually has more radiation around it, Nick, than it should have, considering we consider it a dead planet, right? But it has like an abundance of radiation where it would lead you to to think that the answer to that it's either went through a nuclear winter or some kind of maybe nuclear war or an impact so large from outside that it caused like a nuclear type of explosion. And I often wondered if the area in the Valles Marineras on Mars, that big scar that's right in the middle of the planet, if maybe that's where the impact happened and everything, you know, just evolved from, uh, from there. What do you think of that? 
Because that part oh, yeah. is almost the size of the of the United States. I mean, that's a huge scar. Yeah, you're right, and and um, and that sort of does sort of tie in, you know, with the as you just said, you know, Mars does have a, a large, you know, amount of radiation, deadly mm -hmm. radiation, and it's actually not dissimilar to the same kind of radiation you get. Um, like, for example, when we ended the Second World War, you know, with the right. atomic bombs on uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Um, it's almost identical. And, of course, you know, you've got these huge scars in the landscape and uh, clear, massive amounts of damage done. And, you know, exactly the same thing that could mirror situations with us if ever we went to to war you know nobody can nobody can win a nuclear war anyone who says you know we can take on the other side that's garbage you know um everybody <laughs> yeah. everybody would be taken out you know and it would take probably thousands of years to build up again and of course our civilization by then a couple of thousand years later i mean um that probably would just be um, like legends of us, you know, some civilization that once existed and then the people of that era would say, no, that's garbage, you know, we're the first. And somebody else might have said, no, we're the first. You know, it could be like a cyclic thing that has gone on possibly over and over again. Um, and, and it could happen again in the future. And I, I believe that. Reason. I believe that on, on yeah. Earth. I believe that's you know, happened here many times. It wouldn't surprise me because, yeah. I mean, you see, you see a lot of these, you know, incredible structures, um, you know, people wonder, well, how is this done? And they don't really have, you know, solid, <clears throat> they don't really right. have solid answers to a lot of these questions unless you apply, you know, the, the ancient uh, civilization or ancient alien civilization angle to, you know, to come up with a viable um, answer. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, despite the, the, li the likelihood that at one point Mars was heavily uh, populated, there probably was, you know, an extremely advanced civilization, probably not too different to ours, um, but, you know, they're not, they weren't gods. And, you know, when a planet starts to spiral into destruction, whether by nature or whether by a war or something like this, there really is no way to, you know, to, to try and save a, an entire planet, you know. Um, and, and I think that would actually sort of tie in, as we sort of briefly mentioned earlier, the idea of the giants coming to the Earth. And you know, the Earth not being too far away from Mars if you're from a, a highly populated and, you know, highly advanced civilization, maybe then they could have actually, you know, actually got a, a significant number of Martians to the Earth and in a situation where the atmosphere was probably at least tolerable. You know, I mean, it would be asking too much for the atmosphere on Mars and Earth to be identical. I think that is asking for too much. However, in saying that, that doesn't take away the fact that, um, you know, they could acclimatize to it, you know. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, being on the ground level and then spending six months in the mountains, you know. It's right. difficult, it can be tough, but you can you know, sort of acclimatized to it. You adjust. 
Yeah, in the conditioning around you also, I mean, there's an adjustment period, but as uh, civilizations grow, I mean, the body itself, the DNA, I I think adjusts to the conditioning around it. So if you stay there long enough and you have kids, your kids are going to start developing more and more traits uh, within what the condition is for the, the the planet it's on, I believe. I mean, that's just one of my theories. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, all of these scenarios are sort of viable. And, you know, it's and it, and it comes across like ab, you know, absolute common sense, you know, that that would be the scenario. And, um, you know, I mean, in a kind of a strange, ironic state, you know, over the years, it's been sort of, and it's actually still being spoken about now, is the issue of, well, if we, you know, sort of do too much damage to the Earth, should we move to Mars? <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> Going back home. Happened, <laughs> yeah, something that happened 100,000 years ago is now repeating itself, but back to front, you know. And... um but again, you know, this is known as terraforming, you know, when you try and change a planet's atmosphere. But that would take, you know, an incredible amount of time to do that and, and to get all the technology there as well. I mean, again, that's that's cool for sci-fi, but I think we're far away from terraforming Mars to make it, you know... A, uh, another Earth, if you like. I, I don't think that's going to happen any time, any time period, really. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's definitely a tough operation to to pull off unless you have like a world engine, like in you know, one of those uh, Zack Snyder Superman movies. But unless you have something in the technology like that, you, you, it's uh, not easy, I assume. Uh, but here's the you know the the question uh, with the remote viewing. Um, have they hit on that maybe the planet itself is starting to, you know, come back around and maybe that's part of where they're keeping from us? Because, uh, you know, we find, you know, driplets of information over the past two decades and some of it has started to, you know, come out that, yeah, there's now, you know, confirmed the water on Mars. Uh, we know the the polar caps have ice on them. There's water underground. Uh, so, I mean, is that something that maybe some of the remote viewers that you've researched into uh, have hit on? Well, I mean, certainly water, you know, is a, is a very important um, right. commodity. I mean, mm-hmm. for example, just about everything on the planet needs water. You know, it doesn't mean if, if you're a person, a dog, a cat, you know, just about anything yeah. needs water. Now, the... The good news is that um, over the last few years, um, there's been a lot of developments in relation to um, water on Mars. Now, we've known for um, a long time that Mars has um, a huge amount of water in the form of ice at Mars's polar caps. Now, that's, you know, if that was actually melted um, into water itself, running water, um, there would be a tremendous amount of water um, on the Earth. But right now, it's in the, in the form of ice. And there's a small amount in, in the form of vapor. And not too long ago, um, three underwater lakes were found on Mars um, with water. So, you know, this is all good news. And, um, but, and all of that is primarily um, collected via photographs. Um, from the various orbital craft that um, numerous um, nations have sent, and and also the rovers as well, which are on the surface of Mars. Um, But what's intriguing is that 
the photos that we have from Mars aren't just images of, um, you know, like the ice or the polar caps, etc. But they've also sent back um, some fascinating pictures that seem to show images of bushes or trees on Mars. Right, and if yeah, you, yeah. If you, if you Google banyan tree Mars, mm-hmm. and banyan is B-A-N-Y-A-N, so if you Google banyan trees Mars, you you'll see these really weird, what look like really weird bushes or trees. And it kind of yep. looks like somebody took the pictures out of an aircraft window, say, going over Arizona, yes. and yeah. took a photo. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what it looks like. But, You're um, absolutely right, yeah. Now, yeah, now NASA um, say that this is just ice particles, but I have to say it, it doesn't really look like ice uh, particles to me it looks like <laughs> sort of a very appropriately weird looking tree you know it's not going to look like their trees aren't going to look like right. our oak trees or apple trees but they would probably have something relatively similar and um, and i think that's what those banyan trees are so if you've got water you've got ice potentially you've got bushes and trees then what else have you got, or what did they have in the distant past? So maybe now Mars is starting to repair itself, you yeah. know, and, um, in certain areas on Mars. Yeah, and here's a little anecdote for you. Uh, you know the the saying, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and uh, apples are red. Maybe that signifies Mars having trees. I don't know. Maybe that's where they came up with that one. What do you think? No, but you know, you're absolutely right though, because I've seen those photographs, and I've always, you know, I'm skeptical to a lot of stuff that comes from NASA because you know, never a straight answer, you know, Nick. Uh, But I've seen the photographs, and I I tell you, man, the moment I saw them, I was like, that looks like trees. I mean, it's so blatant, Uh, and and of course, you're not going to have exact, like you said, an exact trees that are replicas to here on earth uh but i mean it's very very close scaringly close well yeah you're right and i mean another angle as well is the a photo that's become known as the face hugger photo yes and uh, this is like really strange it's a it's a photograph of what looks like a, a, a pretty large creature that looks sort of a cross between a crab and a spider crawling up the wall of a, of a cave now, if you again, if you Google on um, NASA photo Mars face hugger, you'll see this what looks like a really creepy looking creature, and um, and it's hard to say how to explain that condition of a piece of rock. It really does look like an eight-legged um, creature with a circular body, yeah. either going up or down. Um, the side of this cave because it, it's just a still photo and we only have one. Um, and, you know, if that is some sort of Martian creature which has had has the ability, you know, to stand up against the rigors of the atmosphere, etc., if there's a face hugger, you know, kind of creature on Mars, there could be multiple different types of Martian yeah. creatures as well. You know, the, the thing is, the funny part is that people on Earth always expect them to look just like us. Maybe there's, you know, like you said, multiple different looking type of creatures, and they could all be intelligent life. Uh, it doesn't have to look exactly like you or me or... Or mostly you, because you're much smarter than I am. Uh, but uh, you know, it doesn't have to look human. 
In other words, uh, it'd still be intelligent. I mean, that's the beauty of the cosmos. We don't know what's out there, right? So uh, it could be some form of intelligence. In fact, I think if there was some kind of a catastrophe or nuclear war on Mars or something that ended the civilization on the surface for years and years, uh, who's not to say that uh, some of that stayed underground? And maybe like on Earth that we have all kind of different animals and races and, you know, even color people and Asians, you know, Americans, uh, white, black, you know, Hispanic. We have all kind of different people, right? Maybe on Mars they had different kind of intelligent looking, uh, you know, different looking uh, beings. Uh, and they were all highly intelligent. Some of them went underground and that's maybe... Uh, a sign that they might be able to start going on the surface again if you see stuff like that, uh, which is always fascinating. By the way, uh, Nick, uh, we have a caller on the line who uh, wants, to, wants to ask you a couple questions uh, and uh, get in. Caller, you're live with uh, Nick Redfern. Uh, how are you doing tonight, sir? Oh, I'm doing out- absolutely outstanding, Angel. And Nick, I've tried to get a hold of you on Skype, and I've tried to get a hold of you on Facebook both ways. So are you uh, stalking them, man, is what you're saying? No, just yeah, I did. No, I did back <laughs> in the day when he had his book on the men in black. Oh, um, that's a great yeah, book. I, I, yeah. 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 Um, no, I, I, I think it was earlier than that because, uh, or closer to that because, you know, I was, I became a federal, uh, I've worked Intel and also uh, law enforcement, and that's why I was trying to get a hold of you to try to give oh, you. Well, uh, um, I, I must have overlooked, maybe, but I always, you know, I always uh, make me. sure that I reply to, you know, all Facebook messages. Um, you did, you did, you replied, and I never heard back from you. But it's not a problem. Uh, I'm talking to you now. Uh, there's some ra- realities to the Men in Black. On both sides, okay? Uh, there is cover-ups. You're exactly right. You're not off the mark. I've blown the whistle. Angel knows who I am. He can talk to you offline. Um, I'm not going to say my name because of reasons. Uh, but um, you're, you're free to call me, and I'll tell you exactly why I know you're, you're on target, especially tonight. You're hitting a lot of cylinders on gas, and uh, I would love to uh, tell you, and I'm sure you have more than me that have come forward, and I've whistleblown several times on several issues, and you hit on one, which I'll never talk about, again, because a brother of mine blew his brains out after, he was the biggest encourager to tell me, yeah, talk about this, talk about this, we all saw it, we all know what happened. And then it built up into him where he decided, you know, it was better to eat the barrel of his Glock. Uh, don't know why he ever did that. But um, you guys are hitting on a lot of subjects right now. Uh, no, um, the, the Morris topic, do you have a question particularly about that? Because yes. that, that that's really uh, the... Uh, the topic we're yep, mostly getting into, stuff. and uh, it's yeah. fascinating. Some of the stuff that, like you said, we're you know he's hitting pretty much on the uh, nail on the head when it comes to a lot of the stuff that's coming out. Exactly, and all you need to think of is uh, a lot of people think the Nephilim that was old school. Well, um, that's the one subject I don't like to talk about, but uh, you're not wrong, and. Uh, 
you know, people think this is fantasy. This is something that has never happened before. Um, they'd be wrong. Uh, or since, not before. Since uh, that time. And it's um, it's just something. And, uh, you know, I'll meet myself, Angel. I'll listen to Nick because... He's you have a question uh, going. You have a question for him before you oh, go. Oh yeah! Or? Oh yeah! Um, the that was more of a mission statement than a question. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Uh, Long-winded, by the way. The men in black you <laughs> hit on, and Nephilim, and what makes you believe? And I, I mean this in a real way. What makes you believe in a sane, sound mind that it's real? And that would be my question. So, what what was the question? I, did, I didn't really get what the question. I, I'll, was. I'll, I'll ask you. What makes you believe that the men in black and the nephilim uh, could possibly be, be real? Like on your you know your personal view on those two things. Well, uh, the primary reason why I believe in the the men in black is because you know there are so many cases of the men in black. You know, I mean, I've done I've actually written I think six books on the men in black mystery altogether, and. I get so many, you know, people who, you know, providing feedback, um, you know, in relation to having seen the men in black. But um, the interesting thing is that most people who report seeing the men in black describe seeing not like uh, Bill Smith and Tommy Lee Jones in the movies, but the real MIB don't look (laughs) fully human. They look sort of pale and skinny and they have bulging eyes. They hide behind sunglasses and... um, you know, it's almost like as if they're a kind of human, alien kind of um, splicing, if you like. They look semi-human, but not quite. Um, now, as far as the, the Nephilim, um, you know, I mean, it's difficult to say when you, you're sort of really digging back into the distant past. But what I can say from my perspective, I do think that, you know, whether you're talking about like the Anunnaki, the Nephilim, um, and, you know, other stories of ancient gods and things, you know, entities coming down from the sky. I think that really did happen. But I think over centuries, you know, belief systems have changed and theories have been put forward. And so, you know, I think that some, some people certainly, you know, kind of blend all of this together um, in kind of like an ancient alien situation. Um but I think, so in other words, I think there were these sort of higher entities that came to the earth. But, you know, when we start putting sort of labels on them, you know, like Anunnaki, Nephilim, the gods, you know, the giants, um, I think, you know, we need to try and put our finger on who exactly or what they exactly they were rather than, you know, just sort of, coming up with more and not more terms, you know. Especially when we uh, label them in English hard, language. <laughs> and uh, I'm pretty sure, you know, a few thousand years ago, they weren't thinking of, like, you know, speaking in English. You know, yeah, let's call ourselves the uh, the Anunnaki. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. I would agree <laughs> with that. My, my point is, what I will say is on the men in black portion, uh, you've got it somewhat right, but... The, Unless you have an intelligence point of view from somebody who's actually done this, 
and the law enforcement point of view, uh, there's no way to really blend it together. And and you also, this is the best thing I've seen from you, is that you will take all facets and you'll figure it out yourself. And your mind, your mind figures out a lot more than you think. Uh, because, you know, have you ever heard of the term the gray man, the man who looks like everybody? Um, he's nondescript. Nobody can really describe him. That's the gray man concept. And that's what's used in both federal LEO, law enforcement officers, and also in um, intelligence agencies. Except for, I hear you say CIA, but the bigger agency on that process, because it is Defense Department, is DIA. And that was the agency I did work for, honestly. Okay. Well, yeah, we ought to have a chat one of the days, you know, and because uh, it's always good to get, you know, more perspective. I mean, the, the whole mystery of the men in black really is sort of confusing and shrouded in mystery. But, um, but as I said, there's no doubt in my mind. Well, I actually think there's two versions, you know, the sort of the government guys who in the certainly in the 50s and 60s, you know, would put the suits on the fedoras and the hat, you know, the suits. And there would, yep. be, you know, you, you won't talk about this. But then there's also this weirder category of the men in black, which... Uh, the ones that don't really look totally human. So I think, you know, we're yep. looking at two facets rather than just one, I think. Yeah, that, I always thought, thought that it's part of the phenomenon is just people like uh, not understanding that maybe these are just regular like FBI agents or something uh, because of the dress, you know, style they had back then. And uh, a lot of that just became part of the lore over the years. Uh, I, I wouldn't say FBI. Uh, it's always, um, and it's not CIA, by the way. Uh, it's always one certain agency. And in the 50s, 60s, yeah, that, that would be correct. Uh, but if Nick hit a couple of things early, uh, later than those things, and those people had a different explanation, they couldn't describe them. And that's because of the gray man concept. That's why I ask him. Oh, I see. No, I'm not that. familiar with that specifically, no. You look like a regular guy, nondescript. Somebody bangs on your door in the middle of the night or at 9 oh, o'clock. Okay. It's, it's normally the 9 o'clock knock. Mm-hmm. And um, 9 o'clock knock comes around and people aren't even, they might have seen something, might have heard something. Um uh, they might have even experienced something. And that's where the trick is. And I don't want to give it all away, but you and I will talk offline and I'll explain things to you. All right, brother. God bless. All right, cool. Thanks. Thank you for the call. That's, uh, I know exactly what it is now. Uh, he uh, actually has a good podcast himself, Nick. You should uh, check it out. Uh, I'll give you more info on, on the, uh, the show off air. Uh, but you know, uh, back to uh, you know, the subject that you know, you know, talking about Men in Black for a second. Uh, do you think there might be some connection with Mars itself, uh, the Men in Black, and the remote viewing projects that have been going on? Uh, I mean, remember we we're talking about government conspiracies and cover-ups. Uh, do they all tie in? You think at the end of the day? Um, well, primarily, um, as far as I know, at least, most of the material that's come through remote viewing has been to sort of the 
ancient times, um, you know, mm. rather than sort of more up-to-date things. For example, one of the people I, interest, uh, I interviewed um, for the book, uh, um, a woman named Kimberly Rackley, she's a very skilled um, remote viewer, and um, Kimberly has done a huge amount of research and RVing um, for the book. Um, and she, um, you know, when you were talking earlier about underground areas and different types of Martian creatures, that's right. exactly what she found when she was mm. doing the RVing for the book. And um, she came across one that was sort of like a large, almost like an insect, like an ant-like animal, and also obviously the Martians themselves, and uh, and some smaller ones as well. And um, and Kimberly's uh, research, you know, is has really sort of opened um, doors, you know, to the next um, generation, I guess is the right thing to say, in relation to, you know, what we're actually being to find and being able to find, you know, in relation to the history of Mars and and the the inhabitants. And um, so we're getting there bit by bit, you know, and um, and hopefully we can keep digging and digging and one day, you know, find the the full answers to what really happened on Mars and, and what its history actually was. That's interesting. Uh, the history of Mars, uh, it, it's fascinating. The, and, you know, there's also a tie-in I wanted to get to. Uh, the planet Venus has uh, been tied to uh, Earth and Mars for a long time. Uh, you know, of course, there's the old adage, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Uh, but I was watching, uh, you know, it's always a good joke. Uh, but I was actually watching a video on uh, George Adamski earlier today. And, you know, this is old, old, old uh, stuff. But if anybody's into the whole, uh, you know, ufology, UFO mystery, and you, you go on to go back to those days, uh, he was talking about Venetians coming here from Venus. Uh, is do you think that's a possibility? Also, that maybe there was a possible uh, connection between those two planets, and uh, it maybe is that part of the cover-up? You think that maybe that there is life still currently there, and that's what we're not being told? Well, I mean, I guess in theory, you know, it's possible. I mean, we do know that. I mean, that um, you know, Venus has an incredibly high temperature. You know, we we know that for a fact. Um, you know, you could melt a car on there. <laughs> and um, it's, But um, but you're right. When you're talking about George Adamski and the, the contactees of the 1950s, mm -hmm. I'm sure most of you, your audience, you know, will, will know of the contactee phenomenon. But for, for sort yeah. of, you know, sort of a, a quick um, explanation. For people who don't know, the contactees were very human-looking aliens who reportedly came to the Earth in the 1950s and essentially sort of warned us about atomic war. And they looked very much like us. And the one big difference being that the guys or the alien, the male aliens, um, had very long hair, which, you know, you didn't really see back in the 50s. Um, now, unlike a lot of researchers of this era now, I actually do think there was something to the contactee mystery. You know, a lot of people dismiss it as just hoaxes and jokes, etc. Um, but I don't. I think there was some sort of very human-like group of extraterrestrials or whatever you want to call them, um, and that they were here 
whether briefly, you know, or if they're still here, I don't know. But certainly we don't see them like you did in the 50s. But I do think at some point in the 50s, there was some sort of so-called space brother contactee angle going on. And um, what sent them away, I don't know. But I think the important thing is that this is one of the first examples of how aliens reportedly... um, warned us about, you know, the perils of nuclear war and, right. you know, planetary, dis- planetary destruction. So maybe there could be a Martian connection there. You know, if they mm-hmm. were somehow connected with the, you know, the, the Martians were somehow connected with the Space Brothers and Mars was pretty much destroyed, you can easily see why they would have warned us in the 50s, right. don't make mistake that we made. I'm pretty sure you're, you're familiar also with uh, Valiant Thor. Does that tie in, do you think? I mean, I mean, we're talking about, again, the 40s, 50s, 60s. You know, you had Roswell. You had all these things that were, were happening in those uh, three decades. And this seems to be like when these kind of subjects were like really heavily uh, being spoken about, even in, in public when it comes to like Congress and all these things, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the story of Valiant Thor, this, again, like a very human-looking alien. Right. Um, and again, try to infiltrate, I mean, literally infiltrate the Pentagon and right. try and find ways to sort of bring all the nations together and, um, you know, where we would all live as one, uh, which unfortunately hasn't happened, you know. Mm. But hopefully, maybe, just maybe one day it will be. But um, the other thing about Valiant Thor, and that also relates to um, the other, the Space Brothers in general, that, you know, it didn't matter if somebody saw them, you know, in the 50s, 60s or the 70s, and if it was the same ones, it was if they hadn't really aged or they'd aged at a very slow process. Mm, and, interesting. Um, yeah, and I mean, and some of, the, some of the contactees who had repeat encounters with the Space Brothers actually said, you know, they kind of, they couldn't figure out exactly how old, they were you know were they 30 were they 40 etc um and it was almost as if you know they maybe we're not talking about immortality but at the very least we're talking about something about slowing down the aging process which is actually something we're trying to work on now you know we know what we know why and how our slow our cells degrade but what we don't know is why we're not able to actually slow it down or in right. a better case scenario, actually bring it to a complete halt. You know, in that situation, you actually would be, uh, you know, on a way sort of closer to immortality. Uh, or maybe they do know, uh, Nick, and they just don't want to well, let us right. know that yeah, that they know. Uh, again, I don't put anything like that, you know, past our governments and our... Uh, the science community, because you know, they're, they're, you know, science for uh, you know the greater good that they do for the uh, planet, uh, they are bought and paid for by grants, and normally they're government grants. So uh, a lot of these things have to uh, be okayed to be released to the public. And if they've discovered things like that, I mean, after they discovered the human genome project and discovered the way DNA works and all the you know these things, uh, I'm pretty sure we weren't that far off technologically figuring out things like that, how to slow down aging and reversing certain diseases like cancer, uh, heart disease, uh, you know, 
people born with deformities, uh, you know, all these things I would, you know, you would figure if you uh, figure out the uh, the way DNA works, uh, that you'd be able to start slowing these things down or getting rid of them altogether. But it seems like they, they said, yeah, we, we know how DNA works now, but they've never said anything else after that. Uh, you know, past certain things here and there, but nothing major as a breakthrough in many, many years, which leads me to believe that maybe they already have the information. They just, you know, they don't want to release it because uh, if you think about it, we have how many, you know, amount of people on the planet now, Nick? Imagine if everybody was immortal. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I mean, within <laughs> within months or years, you know, the popu- the planet would be populated with so many people. It just wouldn't be, it wouldn't be feasible, you know. So um, that that's one of the downsides is that, I mean, I think the, what's the population now? About 9 billion, is it, or 7 billion, something like that? Think about that, but whatever yeah. the Whatever the actual figure is, you know, if nobody dies, um, you know, it would go on and on and on, you know. I mean, we all want to have as many um, years as we can have, but I can easily see if if it was actually put into place, then there would be major issues as to who would have immortality and who wouldn't, you know. And inevitably, that would cause, uh, you know, a huge uh, situation. I mean, you, you think that uh, we would find common ground and maybe just stop people from being able to breed. Uh, but you'll be able to live forever, but you won't be able to have any children. And uh, that might be a little common ground that most people would find adequate. You think, uh, I don't have any kids, so to me it'll be like, well, you know, make yeah, me I immortal. Mean, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's really the only way you could ideally do it would be that everybody would get immortality at the time that it's, you know, it's discovered, and then nobody else is born. But then again, you know, how many people would want to live in a world where they couldn't have their own children, you know? Um, We could end up as just like um, emotionless, you know, creatures just going along without, you know, sort of thinking about... I think, you know, in other words, I think the reason why we live our lives to the fullest is because we know we're on a time limit. And if you've got endless years in front of you, you might just think, what's the point of doing this because I can do it next week or, you know, next year or, you know. So in other words, you know, just because you're immortal doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a great life, you know. Right, and maybe that's why we end up dead longer than we live. Because uh, you know, it, you know, we have to recycle the uh, the amount of lives on the planet. If not, it'll be overpopulated. That uh, it makes sense. Do you think that do we ascend to something, uh, Nick? You know, getting a little spiritual here. Do you think we ascend after we pass away into a you know another realm and our consciousness uh, continues? Mm. Well, I do. I, I think something survives um, current life. You know, I think something survives. But if you ask me, do I believe in things like pearly gates and harps and clouds and a guy with a long robe and a beard? No. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, that to me, that's just, um, you know, that's like a dumbed down, simplified fairy story. That's how I view it. Um, but that doesn't take away the fact that I think that there is a form, you know, something survives life. Um, and I think, you know, with 
heaven and hell to me are I kind of view those as simplistic terms for sort of multi dimensions and that you know you can potentially you know go on from here or there who knows but I don't think there's you know somebody um, you know with a pen and paper saying okay you've been good you've been bad you're going down there you're going up there uh, I think the, the problem is what as although I fully believe that um, and I'll explain why um, th- although I believe in the existence of some kind of you know, essence of ours survives and goes on somewhere else. Although I believe that, unfortunately, religion, many religions have been hijacked, essentially, to put people in a situation of fear and guilt. And so it's all about, much of religion, mainstream religion, is about control. It's all about frightening people, terrifying them. You do this, you'll be okay if you don't do this. You know, it's going to be even worse, that kind of thing. But the the reason why I do believe there is um, an afterlife um, actually doesn't relate to um, to people, but actually what really sort of made me believe before I wasn't really, you know, a full believer, I guess, involved um, uh, one of my dogs. Uh, her name was Charity. Me and my ex-wife, we had a, a Sharpe dog, you know, the, the wrinkly dogs. And uh, we had her for about eight years. And um, she suddenly, she developed a bad fever and she died within about two to three days very, very quickly. And, oh. uh, you, know, you know, it's like when anybody's pets, you know, when yeah. your pets die, it's a sad time, you know, because they're, they're just, I won't say they're just like us, but, you know, they, they're members of the families, you know, right. they're not just animals. And, um, and she died and, um, and we buried her. And, and in the two or three days afterwards, we had a lot of really weird stuff um, happen. Um, my ex-wife, Dana, um, she woke up several times in the night to hear um, Charity's um, claws sort of tip-tapping on the tiles. Mm. And um, we also had this extremely, really profound odour in the house of wet dog you know if, if you've got a dog everybody knows when a dog gets yes. wet you know <laughs> and um and what's intriguing is that we actually buried her outside on on a pouring down rain uh, night and then it was after that that we suddenly then um you know afterwards we got this suddenly out of nowhere odor of wet dog and there was a few other weird synchronicities with her death as well uh, which I won't go along because it's a sort of uh, too big a story. But, um, and this sort of leads me to believe that, you know, not just people have a soul or, a, you know, uh, some kind of essence, but I think, you know, maybe even everything that has ever lived, you know, has some sort of life force attached to it, you know, who knows. I mean, this has even been sort of, it's kind of going off angle a little bit, but, I mean, a lot of research has gone on, you know, to suggesting, like, plants, you know, have a high degree of intelligence right. as well. So, yeah. um, who knows, you know, maybe, like I said, maybe everything that's lived all, always goes on to something, at least, you know. I think it all has to do with energy. 
Nick, and energy always returns back to a source, and uh, who knows if that energy carries the consciousness to another realm. Uh, Nick, uh, it's, it's been amazing having you on, and thanks again so much for making time for the show tonight. Uh, I want uh, you know to give you a minute here before we, we go off air, because we're running a little bit over, uh, okay. to go ahead and give your website or where people could reach uh, reach you, and uh, also, uh, you know, the the book is number one on uh, the, uh, you know, the topic of UFOs and and uh, the you know topic of space right now on on uh, Amazon, which is always a great achievement. Uh, but uh, you know they can get it there, and uh, you know wh- how do they connect you directly? Oh, okay, and, uh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Well, my I have a blog which is titled World of Whatever. So just Google Nick Redfern World of Whatever, and you'll see my blog. And uh, you can reach me on Facebook as well, and um, also at my um, Amazon page as well. Just again, just type in Nick Redfern and. Uh, and you'll find it that way. So many great books, and uh, you're, you're a tremendous uh, author and a great gentleman. Thank you again uh, for joining me tonight, and I look forward to having you back on soon. Do me one favor, though, before you leave. Just yep. uh, one, more th- one more thing i got to ask of you. Stay safe, stay COVID-free, and live long and prosper, my friend. Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you, my friend, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Angel. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the great Mr. Nick Redfern and uh, a tremendous uh, guest to have on the show. I always love uh, talking to him and uh, having him on. Hopefully we do get him on the show again here soon. We'll be back on uh, again on Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern till midnight with more Inside the Jackal's Head and uh, right here on psn-radio.com. So please come back. Until then.